Hi everyone, welcome to TTT, the Talking Transport Transformation Podcast, brought to you by Tumi, the Transformative Urban Mobility Initiative. We were thrilled to be at the Congress Center at Leipzig Zoo on May 23rd for the 2023 Tumi Conference on Feminist Voices in Transport. Not only were we honored to have Suprino Dada as a speaker at the conference and listen to her insightful talk, but we also had the privilege to engage in a meaningful and intimate conversation with her during this enlightening podcast. Suprino Dada is the executive director of Critical Mass Nairobi, the largest gathering of non-competitive cyclists in Africa. She's a mother, urban planner, and avid cyclist. Through her dedicated efforts as the organizer of Critical Mass Nairobi, Supreme is actively working to transform African cities into cycling cities. In Nairobi, a city where cycling is often associated with either poverty or an elitist sport, the Critical Mass movement is challenging these perceptions. In this inspiring episode with our special guest Supreme Dada, we uncover the transformative power of cycling in Nairobi and beyond. Supreme shares her personal journey within the movement and reveals her ambitious goal of turning Nairobi into a thriving cycling city while also driving policy changes. We also talk about the challenges of being a woman in her role and the refreshing impact of being awarded as a remarkable feminist voice in transport in 2023. So without further ado, let us dive into this truly inspiring episode. We are here today with Sibriden at the Tumi 2023 conference on feminist voices in transport. Uh, we are just in the middle of the event in beautiful Leipzig and so happy to welcome you here. With us today is also Valeria, my colleague. And today we will focus mostly on Supreme's activities uh, with the movement Critical Mass Nairobi, which she's the CEO of. But we've already heard your introduction, so we will dive right in. And what would interest me, first of all, is perception. So maybe you could describe a little bit for your own context of work of the city of Nairobi. What are some common perceptions of cycling as a mode of transport? Well, first of all, I just want to say I'm so excited to be speaking on this podcast. Um, the city is beautiful, Leipzig. Um, it's really nice and I'm so excited to be seeing so many people cycling, the trains moving. It's just like things are moving seamlessly. Um, and that's, you know, it, think, it makes me think about back home where we have cyclists on the road, but there's still this negative perception about cyclists. People perceive cyclists to be, cycling to be a poor man, modes of transport or an, an elitist sport, a rich person sport. And it, it troubles me because I know people use bicycles for other reasons and you don't have to be poor to, to, to use, to be a cyclist. Um, so I, Like, I feel like this perception needs to change and people need to expand their thinking and realize that a cyclist can be anyone. You could be the richest man on the planet. You could be the poorest person on the planet, but you could still be a cyclist. It doesn't have a, an economical tag or, a, you know, a status quo. It's for everyone. Yes, I think the pandemic has shown us that cycling is so important. And afterwards, like a lot of people started to cycle because they just realized the importance of this. I think that cycling is for everyone, as you mentioned. Yes. Okay. It's able to start to get more cyclists involved nowadays. Next, I would like to move on to Critical Mass Nairobi. Mm -hmm. What is 
your mission for this movement and what is like the core purpose? My mission with critical mass. Well, let me start with the core purpose and you know the vision that we have. Um, so for me, the way I look at critical mass Nairobi is it's a tool for transformation and it's creating a voice for the voiceless, the vulnerable road users, the cyclists and the pedestrians. So we include pedestrians in our fight. So my vision for critical mass is for this, this, I don't know, this movement to lead transformation in our cities and make people appreciate cycling more and ultimately transform Nairobi into a cycling city. When we started Critical Mass back in 2014, we did not have that many people cycling on the roads. It was very, it was unsafe. If people were cyclists, they stopped cycling. But then after we started having critical mass and having them regularly, more people started cycling. People who had stopped cycling are now picking up cycling again. Those who do not know how to cycle are learning to cycle. And it's so beautiful to see that every last day of the month, people are showing up. You know, we were less than 10. Now, every last day of, the, of every month, we have more than... I think close to 400 cyclists. It's impressive because it ha we have five-year-olds, we have people who are in their 60s. And so that's the goal to transform Nairobi into a cycling city. And the mission or the tiny, tiny objective that we have is to also influence policy change. We want to have better laws for cyclists and pedestrians. You know, We can have people cycling, but if the laws are not protecting us, we are vulnerable. So we want to empower cyclists to know their rights on the road, you know, to for the whole population to respect cyclists. And slowly but surely it's working. I don't know how through whatever miracle, but slowly we are getting somewhere. There's transformation in Nairobi, and I'm really excited to see where the city is going to be 10 years from now, even five years. I'm so excited. That's amazing. And you touched on both the, yeah, getting people excited to come out and cycle and also the policy side of things, which we're both um, very interested in. But personally, I also would like to know, you mentioned in the book, Remarkable Feminist Women in Transport 2023, which we published earlier this year, that it's also a transformative experience for people to be there and cycle together and that it can be a very empowering thing. So I would like to ask what kind of feedback have you gotten from the participants about how it feels to be on the road together? Oh my gosh, it's, it's amazing. I remember the one, this one time I had a conversation with a man. Um, I think I, I would gauge that he is in his mid-40s And he told me, Supreme, you don't know what you're doing, but whatever you're doing, keep doing it because he has been on high blood pressure medicine for so many years. And he would take close to 10 pills a day. And then a friend of his invited him to come to critical mass. And the first time he rode with us, he suffered. He was in so much pain because he'd never cycled that much. We usually do around 25 to 28 kilometers. So he had never cycled that much, but he kept coming back. And then a month down the line, no, two months down the line, he was no longer on blood, taking blood pressure medicine, high blood pressure medicine. And so when I had that conversation with him, I felt 
really inspired. You know, I'm fighting for the transport system to change, but as we are fighting for the transport system, we are helping people in their individual journeys. People are losing weight, you know, the people who are struggling with that. And then being a city that is growing, there's also a lot of loneliness, depression, because people don't know where to make friends. It's a very lonely city if you have no friends. And through critical mass, people are knowing each other. You're making people finding their girlfriends and their boyfriends. So beyond the transport side, critical mass is just bringing happiness and smiles back to people's faces. And even during COVID, when we couldn't have, um, we had couldn't have the rides because we were it would be a COVID hotspot. People would call me begging me, Supreme, we need this. And I'm like, I can't, the government would not let us, but it was just, they fallen in love with it. It's, and I, not as I say this, it's bigger than me. It's what people want and they, they benefit differently from this movement. Right. <laughs> yes, I think cycling is like, for people like you that makes really a cyclist, it's like I think as a sign it joins people, but it's also it's like it's a, it's a way of living, right? It's not only about community, but also it's like networking, sharing, I think cycling has got a lot of benefits in general, not only for the environment, but also for people. You also said that you had some restrictions during COVID from the government side. Um, so I'd like to know what has been their general response in the city and did it change over time since the founding of Critical Mass Nairobi? Well, this, well, I don't want to say if it's surprising, but the beautiful thing that we've had with Nairobi city, county government and CCG is they love us, they support us um, because they understand we are in many ways doing their work we are transforming the city for them. So we've gotten a lot of support from the county government and they encourage us to continue with this movement, you know, because they are trying to fix the transport problem that the city currently has. They've tried everything. We have super highways, we have expressways, but they're not solving their biggest headache, which is traffic. But cycling is somehow helping them you know we are fixing the problem that they are having trouble fixing um during covid we couldn't have the critical mass rides because having 400 or 300 people meeting during covid that's just creating a hot a hotbed for covid so even for our own safety we didn't do it but we encourage people to cycle individually or with family members that They know, you know, their movements. And it was beautiful to see people taking photos of just them, you know, them and their families cycling. And it's just growing. And I really, I really like that. Even if the county hasn't, you know, like given us any financial support, they haven't told us no. They've not told us stop doing this. They've allowed us to keep this movement going. Mm -hmm. That's a strong message in itself. Uh, previously, you mentioned that uh, critical mass, like this uh, meeting once a month, like worldwide, is a movement really important. You mentioned that a lot of people join the movement. And um, do you see afterwards that all these people that is attending critical mass is also 
changing their behaviors in, in mobility terms, like they're kind of cycling as a way of commuting. Do you, do you see this difference already in the city? Wow, yes, yes. Yeah, there's so much going on as far as using the bicycle for commuting. Um, so when critical mass started growing, we had a lot of people who would only cycle when there's critical mass. That meant they're only cycling once a month. And that broke my heart because that's not what I wanted. I want people to cycle as often as possible. And then we, we asked, why is it that you're not cycling every day? often as you can and they say you know, it's because they only feel safe where they are riding with us. Um, so I had this idea of having many critical masses coming from different neighborhoods um, to encourage those people to, to ride more. And so I first had this idea in 2019 um, before COVID or rather yeah, no, 2018 before COVID, and then COVID hit, and it was just a, it's just chaos. But we asked the cyclists to just help uh, help us create something that I now call the Nairobi uh, bike train. And the bike train is essentially many critical masses coming from different neighborhoods towards a common meeting point. So we developed. I had so many. Oh my gosh, so many, I don't want to call them workshops because we were doing them over WhatsApp, but just cyclists were telling, sharing their, mobile, their, their movement data, where they live and where they work. Um, so we developed, we, came, we had all this information about people and they're very willing to share, you know, because people want to cycle. So we had the mobility, the informal mobility data, um, but then we had this challenge. We wanted people to commute to work. So we had this crazy network of people going everywhere. Um, it was not easy to implement that. So we thought again, um, what if we just had a common point in the city center where people could meet and then pilot that, have that work. And then from there, we can figure out other destinations. So we came up with um, a train, a bike train schedule uh, where we now have eight uh, corridors and each corridor has its own captain and two two assistant captains and the biggest and each train has its own whatsapp group so the people who live along that bike train corridor are in that whatsapp group and it's really wonderful to see people communicating people are knowing each other neighbors are knowing each other they are asking each other, you know, I li I'm leaving the house at 6 a.m. Is there anybody else who's leaving at 6 a.m.? And somebody along the corridor would say, I am leaving the house at 8 a.m., pick me up. So it's basically like a train just on bicycles. And yeah, so we have specific meetup pickup points along the corridor with specific pickup times. But then there's also the ones that that are not structured, but people are using the trains. Um, the whole train concept was based on the notion of safety in numbers. You know, when you're an individual cyclist on the road, you're more vulnerable. But if we are so many of us, you're king. <laughs> Nobody can touch you. Uh, so, yes, that's, that's the, the thing that we are now really using to try and get more people to cycle um, outside of critical mass. That's really great. 
Yes, sounds really good. And one question related to that, do you also have any kind of activity or workshops that involves like teaching people how to cycle or maybe you can share something? Yeah, so we've um, gotten a lot of requests from people, especially women who want to learn how to ride bicycles. Unfortunately, a lot of women were stopped from riding bicycles, you know, and we have a lot of cultural expectations and restrictions for women that deter them from right, learning how to ride bicycles. And then you also have women who knew how to ride bicycles, but after becoming parents stopped cycling or after becoming, you know, adults, they were shunned from cycling. So we've gotten a lot of requests from women. And the challenge that we've had is identifying a suitable location where we can just offer classes for free. Um, but I, as of last, last week, I've been talking to the city government and they are actually willing to help us uh, with space where we will offer classes for free. If you, it doesn't matter your gender, whether you are a man or woman, a child, if you want to learn how to ride a bicycle, we are going to teach you how to ride a bicycle. And while we are teaching people how to, uh, to ride bicycles, we're also teaching people on road safety. There's a lot that cyclists don't know um, how to be safe before and after getting on the road. The, you know, hand signals, how to interact with motorists on the road. So we are trying to come up with a road safety guideline for the Kenyan experience because what happens in Leipzig is not the same experience as Nairobi. So we have to make something for Nairobi. Our motorists behave very differently from the motorists in Germany. Um, so we are hoping by, by August we will have a more, like we'll have something like a package for anyone who wants to learn how to ride a bicycle. We don't want... We don't want to limit the potential growth that we have in cycling to people not knowing how to ride a bicycle. It's unfair. It's not, you know, it's, it's, it's almost like a life skill that was denied to you. And we cannot, it's not fair. We just need to include those people in this, in this joy and happiness that we are having. Yeah, that's really, yeah. Yeah, it's super important to yeah to also consider people that don't know how to cycle because sometimes governments make policies but also should also think about all users, right? So um, that's super important. So congratulations on that project. So, Thank yes. you. Yeah, I think your answer also shows the humanity of road safety. It can seem from the outside, I think, like a very technical topic, but it's really all about having freedom to move around, having the space to do so and the empowerment to do so. Um, I was also wondering when it all began, how did you manage to kickstart this at all? How did you convince people to join the movement? So I'm not the one who started critical mass, but there was a gentleman who started critical mass, but their approach was more like a group of people just, you know, cycling for fun. And, and then he left and critical mass started dying. People were not showing up. So I asked in 2016, I asked if I could help. And for me, when I started riding with the group, it helped me a lot. I was new in Nairobi 
didn't have friends. I was lonely. I was struggling to find work. And I just had all this tension that I needed to let out. And I, I met the group. And I once I met the group, I felt like I met my family. I felt like finally I have my community. So when the family started breaking because people are not coming, we would sometimes go and find we are five people. It really broke me because that's where I had put my new identity. I wanted it to work. So I asked the gentleman if I could take over and he was more than happy to allow, to let me uh, take over. And it's been growing ever since. Um, I was very intentional about growing this movement. And for me, it brought me joy. Like I tell people it's beyond the transport. It brought me happiness and I wanted other people to experience the happiness that it brought me. So I was very intentional about inviting more people to come. I would design, I even learned, I've learned, I learned how to design posters. I learned how to design a website. I learned how to manage um, how many social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, uh, LinkedIn. I learned how to do all those things by myself. And I just kept putting message out there and telling people about critical mass, why we are doing what we are doing, why you should join us and spreading a message of, you know, inclusivity. And it, I think it resonated with a lot of people. So people started coming and then it's been growing. But the thing that um, I tell anybody who has asked me about critical mass and how they can start their own critical mass, for me, what I did was, I ensured there was consistency and intentionality. If it was every last day of the month, without question. There are days we had to switch it to Sunday, but since 2014, it is meeting the same place, although we had to change again when the park was being um, renovated, but it is being consistent. Consistency is this, the, the, for, for us, that consistency is what makes critical mass be successful. And we, I, I, mean, I can feel funny saying we're successful because we still have a long way. I know there are other critical masses that have tens of thousands of cyclists, but considering our transport system and how hectic and crazy it is, having 400 cyclists meeting every, every month consistently, sometimes I look back and I'm scared because it's so powerful and so crazy at the same time, but so beautiful. And it's just, it's magical. Yeah. As a woman, what? Are the challenges that you have faced in your in your role? Um, so I have faced, like as a woman leading organization, there's that kind of challenge. It's different. But then being a woman, a female cyclist, let me start. Actually, let me start by talking about what it is, what it feels like to be a female cyclist in Nairobi. I mean, like many other countries in the world, there's um, sexual harassment and just people being demeaning to women when they see you on a bicycle. It was way worse in 2015-16 but it's changing in Nairobi because there are a lot of women cycling. But obviously you still have those comments from other people, you know, like a woman should not be on a bicycle and some insulting words but it hasn't broken us you know, 
women are more vocal. We know you cannot call me certain names, so I will say something back. Um, and then there's me being a woman and leading an organization that is male dominated. Um, I think I have thick skin, <laughs> um, but I also do it with compassion. So the men in the, the male cyclists respect this compassion that I show and also the, the way I protect cyclists. Um, I'm very, I'm very protective of cyclists and I, I will, I feel, and I'm also very empathetic about the experiences that different cyclists have. So it has made it easy for me to lead the movement. I'm not, they can see that I am like a mother figure to them so they can trust me with leading this movement. In Kenya right now, I think critical mass is seen as the voice of cyclists. We don't have an association that is defending us. So critical mass is doing that for cyclists. Um, and I'm, I'm glad that I've been able to lead the movement with, with intentionality, with grace, I think so. <laughs> but I'm glad that people have been able to trust me to lead them. Um, I'm hoping at some point, you know, somebody else will lead the movement. I do not want to be the only person there. But for where we are right now, I think they've given me the respect. My gender has not been in question. I've always brought, when I'm, you know, guiding women to be cyclists or to improve their experiences, I'm not leaving the men behind. I'm fighting for the men as well. So I think that has helped. But I tell people I'm a feminist. <laughs> I am a feminist, but I'm also a manist. I do not want to leave the men behind because at the end of the day, majority of those men are the ones who are designing our road systems. And if they do not understand what, how the challenges women experience, they will not change the system for us. We cannot fight this fight just as women. We have to bring the men along and just make them understand we have different travel patterns, different experiences. It's important for them to acknowledge our challenges, our experiences, and include that in their whatever it is that they're doing. Yeah, I think bringing everyone in or keeping the conversation going with all parts of society is key. Um, lastly, I would like to know you know, now that you've been awarded as a remarkable feminist voice in transport and you were here in Germany for the study tour, um, how has it been for you to have a community of women, maybe locally, but also globally, that is interested in creating equitable transport solutions together? Oh, for me, it was almost like a breath of fresh air because when I was around February, March last year, I just felt burdened by this responsibility of being a leader and being a woman. Um, it felt like, I felt like I was going to give up. There was just too many things that I needed to do, too many challenges. I wanted to just go home, not leave the house. Um, And then I came to this conference, I had actually just been robbed at gunpoint and my passport stolen, so I was even late at the conference. So I had a lot of baggage. And then coming to the conference and 
meeting these women and it was just one day of meeting them and i was very i felt so happy to be surrounded by my tribe people women who are experiencing the same challenges i was experiencing the same triumphs i am having and at that time i remember we had like a coffee table or rather boardroom boardroom very informal conversation and everyone was just very open about their their experiences and i remember we were crying we were laughing we were dancing um but outside of that being surrounded by you know the remarkable women i realized that we are doing something so important something that even the men will benefit from we are fighting a fight that will benefit everyone and these women are like a support system you know to just encourage you to not give up because it's really easy to give up it's easy for me to quite a bit go home and do the whatever everyone else is doing but when you're in this group and see this woman has done this i want to do that too this woman has done this i want to do that too and it's just it inspires me but it also makes me feel like i have a support system i love it and i'm so happy to be happy to see them again this year yeah thank you so much for speaking to us again this was wonderful thank you very much thank you for having me <laughs> thank you very much to our remarkable guest suprino dada and to all the listeners for joining us for this episode this episode is part of a series of interviews featuring the 2023 remarkable feminist voices in transport and it's a part of Tumi's larger feminist voices in transport campaign and its annual focus for this year. We hope that our conversation has inspired you and made you more passionate about sustainable mobility. And as we conclude, we'll leave you with the profound words of Supreme. Critical mass is a tool for transformation and it's a voice for the voiceless. We wish you all a great day and hope that you keep advocating for sustainable mobility systems for all.